Hello, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and this is our podcast. Today we enter into the final chapter of the book of James. In this chapter, we start off by looking at how to handle life when it oppresses us. And so let's head into James chapter 5. Good morning and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I hope the breakfast was amazing and delicious. And... um, I know on Father's Day, you're kind of faced with this struggle as a pastor because you have Mother's Day and then a month later you have Father's Day. And so it creates a challenge as to what to talk about because basically you can talk about the same subject for both services. And I could have just resurrected last month's message and thrown that out there. And, uh, and what I found though is that what a lot of churches do, dads don't like to come to church on Father's Day. Why? Because what happens on Father, Mother's Day is the pastor gets up and talks a, a wonderful message about how wonderful moms are. Then when it comes to Father's Day, the pastor gets up there and starts punching the dads in the face, okay? Telling them how terrible they are, you need to step up your game, that sort of thing. And I don't want dads going home today depressed and sad. And so, so we're not going to do that today. Instead, uh, we're going we're gonna to continue in our book of James this morning because I need to finish this next week. I absolutely have to get James done next week because it's bumping up against everything else uh, that we're doing here in the summer. And so I want to get James out of the way. And so I'm doing uh, week 10 today and then week 11 next Sunday, 11 total weeks we've had this year in the book of James. And um, and I just want to let you know where we're headed for the rest of the summer as some of you uh, may be going, okay, well, what's going on for the rest of the summer? We've got some fun stuff going on uh, when we enter into the month of July. We have our You Asked For It series in the month of July. Hey, if there's something you want somebody to talk about, you want me to preach about from the stage, fill out one of those cards out at Fam Connections and drop it off, drop it in one of the boxes or whatever, because um, I've got some, but I don't have enough for four weeks, so I'm going to have to make up my own stuff. And part of the reason is because a few of the questions that were dropped in there are I already have messages planned for those later in the year, and so I'm not going to do those during the You Asked For It series. Um, but we've got that coming up the whole month of July, um, and uh, we have our All-American Sunday, the first week of July, where after service we're going to have some amazing grilled food, water slide for the kids, and fireworks. The third Sunday is National Ice Cream Day, and so we are going to have an ice cream truck here for free ice cream after service. The second and fourth, or that's the second and fourth, the first and third Sundays are going to be popcorn Sundays. And so what that means is Taylor Mundy is going to be popping popcorn in the lobby. And when you come into church, you're going to get a bag of popcorn to come in and munch while you're watching and taking in the service, okay? And uh, then the final official day of summer is August 4th. And I've mentioned this before, um, Grady Judd is going to be here speaking. And so just for clarification... I do understand and know that he is a very controversial guy. If you are not a fan, I totally get that. Please don't judge me and the church based on him being here, okay? So don't miss. No, it's just that there's a love. You either love Grady or you hate Grady, okay? There's no in-between with that dude. I'm kind of indifferent because I'm just like, whatever. But then I've had some stuff told to me in the previous weeks of, uh, and, I, and I've thought about it. I'm just like, yeah, that's a little bit rough. So anyways, but don't miss any of our summer fun that we've got going on this summer. And so this morning's message, we want to start off with talking about how do we respond to things and situations, Like, how do we respond when someone cuts us off when we are driving? How many of you just let it roll off your back and go, it's all good, it's all cool? 
Anyway, we've got, got a couple of people. All right. How many of you, when they cut you off, you're quick to the horn? We've got a few of those in here, okay? That is totally me, okay? See, when you, and, and there's a couple of things that, I, that go with this, but yeah, I, I'm quick with the horn because living in Boston, Massachusetts for 10 years, you had to be quick with the horn because horns were the way you communicated on the road. When I came here and found out people got offended when you honked the horn, I was kind of surprised by that because in Boston, you honk to say thank you, you honk to say you're an idiot, you honk to say all kinds, you communicate all kinds of things with how long you honk, how you honk your horn, that sort of thing, and I was really surprised to find out that people find it offensive if they get a little honk on the horn. I don't know why. It doesn't bother me. Then some of us uh, we respond uh, to situations when we get cut off as we give them the your number one finger, right? Anybody there, don't raise your hand, okay, and let us know that that's you. So, oh, and, and by the way, hey, if we're ever riding together and someone cuts you off and you're not a horn honker and you need someone to help you out, I will honk your horn for you, okay? <laughs> I've done that to a couple of people before, and... Uh, Dana doesn't always appreciate when I do that, but hey, I mean, it's like, we got to honk the horn. They need a honk. <laughs> All right. So how about other situations? How many teenager or how many parents do we have in the room? With all the fathers, we got to have quite a few parents in the room. How do you respond when one of our kids decides they're going to be all adult on, uh, adult on us and tell it how it is? Tell us how it's going to be. How do you respond to that? Is your response, oh, you're not looking to live past today. <laughs> or is that another thing that you just let roll off your back? They're trying to gain their independence. I just need to let them be an independent, free thinker. Anybody there? No. All right. Well, <laughs> so most kids are on the verge of death is what I'm assuming uh, a lot of the time, yes? Okay, we got, we got a lot of kids on the verge of death in this room this morning. All right, so let's dig a little deeper and ask ourselves how we respond to things that are a little more challenging. Like how we respond when people challenge our deeply held beliefs. Because that's the theme of the section in James that we are going to look at this morning. And we're going to be in James chapter 5, read, reading verses 1 through 12. Uh, James is in the New Testament towards the end. Usually we have it on the screen behind me. We got an okay picture. So our projector is dying. I put a new bulb in it this week, hoping it would be brighter. That's why we don't have any videos or anything. Father's Day videos. I'm sorry, dads. I know the mothers had one. But you can't see our videos right now because of how bad the projector is. Um, but uh, um, So we're going to be reading James uh, 5 1 through 12, and so you're just going to have to listen to me because it won't be on the screen behind me. Maybe it will, but uh, you probably won't be able to read it. Maybe you can. I don't know. Anyways, here's what it says. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your moths and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the days of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. 
You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count it as blessing those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, other, above all my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. All right, so if you've been here for most of this series, you know that the words that James has been speaking have kind of been in your face and kind of intense. And this morning's words, I think, are some of the most intense words that James is speaking. And I mean, if we were just to take it at face value, it seems like James really has some sort of hatred for anybody who has money, you know? It's like maybe he should be working for Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign because he's so just disturbed by people who have money. But one thing that we have to remember in reading this is that our historical context and the one James is writing in are vastly different. See, this isn't a critique of having money or the capitalistic system in which we live. See, what he is talking about here is how these people got and are staying rich. See, in the time that James was writing, there were no repercussions on people for how they treated their employees. There were no government laws, there were no equal opportunity, all the other stuff we got from the federal government that mandate how we hire employees, how much we can pay employees, and all of that thing. See, back in this day, I could hire somebody, send them out in the field for a 14-day work day, not give them a break or anything else, and then when they came to collect their wages, say, sorry, buddy, I ain't paying you. And they had no repercussions for it. They had no way to get back at the rich person who was taking advantage of them. And James is calling out these people who are doing this. He's saying to them, look, this is wrong. If you treat your employees like garbage so that you can gain and hold on to wealth, it's a serious problem. But there's a deeper meaning in this text that James is speaking to us, and so let's not get lost in those details here in regards to the rich paying the wages. See, the deeper meaning encompasses this whole section that we just read, and it has to do with the oppression that we suffer in life and what we do about the oppression that we suffer. And so we've got to define some terms here because some people link oppression and persecution together as they are both the same kind of thing. They are not. Okay, oppression is prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment or control, mental pressures or distresses. Persecution is where people are outwardly hostile to us and abuse us because of our race, political belief, or religion. I hope you can see the difference there. See, oppression happens to people just because we are alive, okay? Oppression happens because there is somebody who is unjust, who is willing to put their unjust beliefs and systems upon somebody and make them live under them. See, persecution happens when somebody targets and attacks us simply because of our faith, our race, our political beliefs, Okay, and I'm going to go on a little rant here that's a bit of a sidebar, but I want to address this because I keep hearing more and more, I keep hearing more and more Christians say, we are so persecuted here in America. Can I tell you something? We are not persecuted as believers here in America whatsoever. We are not getting beheaded. 
We are not being thrown to the lions. We are not being thrown in prison. There are more than 300,000 churches in this country. Wrap your brain around that number. 300,000 churches. Most Americans still call themselves Christians. It's legal to be a Christian. It's legal to proclaim Christ. It's legal, legal to convert to Christianity. Now what we have going on is that there is an increasing intolerance for followers of Christ and our beliefs, but we are not persecuted for it. See, just because somebody doesn't believe what we believe, somebody doesn't agree with our views, doesn't mean they are persecuting us. We have to understand, just because the norms of society are changing and we're going away from a Christ-centered worldview, doesn't mean that we are being persecuted. And I hate to throw this out there, but you want to know the reason why so many people are walking away from a Christ-centered life and belief system? It's because the church talks about love and grace, but so rarely offers it. See, we define people by their sins rather than the name that Jesus calls them by. And that is simply not right. I wouldn't want to be called by my sin, and so why do we do it to others? See, what we need to see in people is the divine destiny that God has for each one of their lives. But instead, instead of them living out that destiny, they have made a choice to live in a place of sin. With that, we need to do everything that we can to show them that the divine destiny that they are walking away from is something that they are missing out on because it's far greater than the life of sin that they are walking in. And the second thing that we have to understand is that walking with Jesus is really messy. Jesus used the term, we must be born again. And I think he did that on purpose. Because how many, okay, the women, I know if you've had a child, you have done this, but men, how many of us have been present at the birth of a child? Anyone? I've been pre I was present at the birth of all three of my kids. Is it a neat, clean, nice affair? Heck no. There's blood, there's fluids, there's stuff everywhere, okay? It's disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting. And I think that's the reason Jesus used the term. Because when we're born and we're starting to walk and we follow him, it's a process where we've got liquids and fluids and blood and all kinds of other stuff all over us as we slowly learn to live and walk out our life. Another comparison is this. When we have our child, does a manual also come out of the mother on how to operate said child? No, it does not. How many of us want a manual? Okay, I think anyone that's had kids wants a manual on how to operate those things. <laughs> and so I think... We got to, you know, when we walk with our child, there's craziness, there's setbacks, and there's challenges. 
And so Jesus used this word born again to describe what happens to us when we start to follow him. He is communicating that when we start to follow him, it's going to be real messy. Some of us have lived 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in a completely different mindset and a different place in life and trying to now switch that up to follow in the direction that Jesus wants us to go is hard. Why? Because our brain has been wired to the way that we were living. we got to completely undo all of the wiring in our brain and redo it. And the thing is, is that if you've done any neurological, if you've read any neurological stuff, our brain is far more complicated than the most complicated computer on the planet. There's all kinds of wiring, there's all kinds of stuff in there that needs to be redone and rewired. See, and we have to be able to handle that someone else's life with Jesus may not look like ours because of the messiness and craziness that comes with birth and growing up. See, people may not walk away from their past life right away. It could take years. And we have to be able to move past that to be okay with people's journey and the messiness it can be. All right, so let's get back to our text this morning. All right, so the stuff that James was addressing in this section was oppression, not persecution in the church. People were being oppressed by business owners that lacked character. And the message James spoke was not necessarily directed at the business owners here, but was more for the benefit of the people who were living under their leadership. Why do I say that? Well, because the business leaders he were addressing were on all likelihood not followers of Jesus, so there was not a high likelihood that they were going to come into contact with, the, contact with this text in the first place. Now, some I'm sure did, and it served as a rebuke for them if they were treating their employees poorly, but this word was more for those that were working under their oppressive thumb. James was letting them know that, yes, they were going through something, but this thing was not going to be forever. One day, the party that the rich person was having at your expense was going to come to an end. And they were going to receive everything that they deserved for how they treated you. And so if you are here this morning and you are living in an oppressive situation where something has you oppressed, someone is oppressing you, God wants you to know that he sees the oppression that is on your life. He sees what's going on and he wants you to know that he is going to take care of it. It may not happen tomorrow, but he has got it, and they won't get away with it forever because one day justice will be served. And I know that those, are in, those in here this morning and your life, it's marked by oppression. It's probably not your employer that is impressing you, uh, oppressing you, but it's something else. Maybe it's a spouse that's oppressing you, talking junk and making your life hard because of what God has called you to. Maybe it's a, part, a parent or a step-parent that treats you like garbage because they have an addiction that controls their life. They say things like they don't love you and wish you would go away. Whatever the oppression is, Jesus wants you to know this morning that a day is coming where, this is go- where there is going to be retribution for those who are pr- oppressing you. He is going to take care of it. As I said, it may not be in our timing and our liking, our liking but Jesus is here to tell you this morning that if that is you, He sees your hurt, he sees your pain, he's going to take care of it, and they will be held accountable for their oppression on you. And James says then, next in the text, he says, look, because 
God is going to take care of it in his time. We need to respond to the oppression that we face with prophetic patience. That may seem like a weird phrase, so let me explain it. So James talked about these prophets, and then he gave the example of Job. And what he meant by the prophets is, if you were to go into the Old Testament of the Bible, there's these books called uh, uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel, and there's others in there, and these guys were all called prophets, See, they spoke the word that God gave them boldly to the nation of Israel at their time. And because of them speaking the word of God, not always so nicely or softly or gently, um, people did not like them. And they were oppressed their whole lives. They lived under constant oppression because of the things that they were doing. They had all kinds of crazy stuff happen in their life. But yet, in each and every single situation, when you look at the prophets, they remained faithful to God and patient in their oppression, waiting for the day that God was going to deliver them from that situation around them. And as we face oppression, we should respond to it with prophetic patience as well. You see, the prophets knew that God had called them to do what they were doing, so no matter what they were facing, they knew that they had to stand in there and face the oppression head on because it would one day come to an end. That's the challenge we face. For the people in our text, it was their job. They had to have their job to provide for their families, and it was taking its toll on them. It wasn't like you could go down the street back then and find a better job that treated employees better. Treating employees like garbage was the norm in the ancient world, and there was nowhere to go to escape it. And James is saying, look, people, be patient. The Lord is going to deal with that person and that situation. Don't give up, because you will be blessed in the end. But this idea is a tough concept and hard sell today, because we are led to believe that if we are under oppression, it must not be from God. We have to understand that in life, we are going to face oppressive situations that we are going to have to stand under in prophetic patience, waiting for that thing to come to an end. Because the bottom line is we live in a world where oppression is the norm, where oppression is a way of life, where there's a demonic power and presence that rests upon this planet. And so no matter where we go and what we do, we are going to face oppression and we have to be willing to stand in it and withstand those environments knowing that God has got our back, he's gonna take care of it, and so patience is going, it needs to be ours. We need to look to the prophets and see how they stood up and withstood the oppression that they faced And do the same in our life. And then finally, in the oppression that we face, we should not make any unrealistic promises to God. James says, do not swear. Now, when he says do not swear, he's not talking about dropping some F-bombs someplace, okay? That's not not what uh, James was was getting at. Um, He's talking about making unrealistic promises to God when we are in the midst of oppression hoping that God will lift the oppressing situation from our life. See, I think we can all relate to this, can't we? We've been in an oppressive situation and we think to ourselves, man, I just want this thing to end. What can I do to make it end? God, I swear I will read my Bible more. I will read it every day if you just lift this thing. God, I swear I will pray more. 
I will pray every day if you want me to, if you'll just lift this thing. God, I'll be at church every time the doors are open. I've had multiple people tell me that, Pastor, I'm going through stuff, and I just told God, I'll be at the church every time the doors are open because I just want this oppression to go. We try to bargain with God to get out of situations, and God is saying, it doesn't work that way. You want to read your Bible more? Read your Bible more. You want to pray more? Pray more. You want to be in church more? Be in church more. You want to do this more? You want to do that more? Do it more, but do it for the sake of yourself, not for something from me, because I don't work that way. Making promises to me isn't going to change the situation, but what will is our yes being yes. Just saying, yes, I'm going to pray more. Yes, I'm going to read my Bible more. Yes, I'm going to commit more of my life to Jesus. And that will change the situation. You're saying, well, how will it change the situation? See, here's how that changes the situation. When you spend more time doing those things, it moves your life further into the presence of Jesus. And see, what happens when your life gets moved further into the presence of Jesus and those oppressive things come, you have more perseverance to make it through those tough and difficult times. See, the reason that the prophets were able to walk through the oppression that they, is that they were so close to God. They had such communion with God that they knew that God was there fighting for them on their side. The oppression was going to end one day. And so they continued with perseverance. And that is the way to get it in our life. We can, we can help with the oppression by just spending that time in the presence of God and allowing him to get us closer so that we have the perseverance that we need. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church Podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.